Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, welcome to the last Wednesday in October. It's so crazy how October is already here and gone. Today we have a good show for you. I'm excited that you're here. My guest for the show today is J.D. Greer. J.D. Greer is currently serving as the 62nd president of the Southern Baptist Convention and is pastor at the Summit Church. He's also the author of several books. In fact, he just had one that released earlier this month called, What Are You Going to Do With Your Life? Isn't that a question we've all asked? In his book, he talks about how God has a plan to make your life count for eternity, so we should stop wasting it. We all want our life to matter. Yes, we do. But if you're like most people, you probably don't have a compelling answer to the question, what are you going to do with your life? But in this book, J.D. considers Jesus' radical call to give your life away to the greatest cause of all, to view your life from the perspective of eternity, to start making decisions now that you'll be glad you made then. It's time to put your yes on the table and let God put it on the map. I am a fan of this conversation, J.D. Thank you for doing that. Pastor J.D. is a longtime friend of the Ivies. I'm excited that he's joining us on the podcast today. In this episode, we talk about the challenge of parenting teenagers. Hello, anyone else? As we get ready to launch them into the world and how to lead Christ followers to a state of unity without uniformity as we face sin and injustice. He also dives into a very important topic about the problem with teaching children to ask Jesus into their hearts and what coming to salvation really looks like. I'm so thankful for JD's leadership during a time where it's difficult to lead, but hopeful for the unity that is to come. You guys, we just started this week, something that I'm super excited about. It's called Read With Me. I would love for you to ask a friend or a sister or a neighbor or an internet buddy or a college roommate, I don't care, anybody, one person, three people, five people, to read with you. We're going through my newest book, UBU, and we're reading it together. And then we're gonna all convene at the end of these four weeks and have a virtual online book club where we all get to hang out. If you want more information, text read with me, all one word, no spaces, to 33777. That's read with me, no spaces, to 33777. And you're gonna be added to our read with me community. We're gonna get you everything you need, discussion guides. I'm gonna give you some recipes that my husband has made before. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So join us now. Jump in with us now, read with me. Text that to 33777. All right, here's my conversation with J.D. Greer. J.D., welcome to the happy hour. Thank you, Jamie. Great to be here. It's so fun to have you on, and we have known each other for a couple years. Aaron says to tell you hello. I told him last night we were on a date, and I'm like, I'm talking to J.D. in the morning, so um, exciting to have you on. I also think it's exciting that you now hold a record that's never been held before, thanks to COVID, the longest-running president of the Southern Baptist Convention, (laughs) so congrats to that. Well, I don't know if congrats is the right word, maybe condolences, but I'm the answer to a Baptist history trivia question. So that's that, you know, that will thing. always be a trivia. And listeners, I just hooked you up. Next time you're at church and it's like, you know, fifth Sunday gathering, they're having a little potluck and they're like, let's do some trivia. J.D. Greer, you're going to be an answer to that. Hey, and Jamie, if I could tell you, my kids and my family, they're, they're not really impressed with really anything that much anymore. If I'm like, oh, I preached at this place and there were 20,000 people there, they yawn while I say it. I tell them I'm coming on the Happy Hour podcast, and you would have thought that I just made headlines at TMZ. They're like, you are going to be on the Happy Hour podcast? So this is a big moment for them. 
Well, you've got a lot. You've got your people at home. They're like cheering you on that you're going to represent the whole Greer family adequately on the happy hour. So honestly, thank you. I did tell that you are president of the Southern Baptist Convention currently and last year because we did not have the convention to have a new president. But tell us everything else you do with your life because there's way more to your life than that. Well, okay. Obviously, I think the most important assignment is husband and dad. I'm not just saying that, but I really, I have four children. They are, my oldest is 17. I have three girls and a little boy. So they're 17, 15, 12, and 10. And uh, I've been married to a girl I met at a Christian camp I spoke at. She was a counselor, not a camper, by the way. (laughs) But I married her back in the year 2000. She was a student at UVA and uh, University of Virginia. And so that consumes a lot of my life. I will say, I always say that my, I mean, SBC, being president, no problem. Pastor of the Summit Church, piece of cake, being a dad of teenage girls, I'm about to lose my mind. I call them my, uh, well, I gotta be careful here, but I call them, basically they're smart enough to make nuclear bombs and not mature enough to handle them. So they're like certain <laughs> dictators out in the uh, the Far East. I like that. Um, but yeah, so anyway, uh, that's one role. I, I am pastor of the Summit Church where I've been a pastor since um, 2002. And it's a church uh, that started out as a kind of a sleepy little Baptist church. And I thought it was sort of a temporary gig, you know, a couple of years that, I would just do that, get some ministry experience, but then God grew it and increased our vision. And so almost 20 years later, that's the role I play. So I'd say probably those are the three biggest roles that consume most of my time other than follower of Jesus. Okay. I just did some math in my head. You became pastor of this church, married for two years. That is correct. And you've been here ever since. (laughs) That is true. This is like y'all's first baby. Basically, <laughs> you have right. like almost a 20, this would happy and congrats on 20 years of marriage as well. So I appreciate that. Well, yeah, you know yeah. how like your second kid, you're way easier on. I feel like if I ever pastor another church, I'm going to be so much better of a pastor. <laughs> I'm like, this is my firstborn and they've just gotten all the inexperience oh, yeah, and immaturity yeah. that comes. I say that. often I'm going to be a phenomenal grandma. I mean, like I'm going to be the <laughs> best grandma in the world. You know, I think that's why grandparents are just like, you can do whatever you want. A, because they don't live with them. And B, because they're like, ah, you turned out yeah, okay. Like, it's, it's good. It's good. Well, thank you for coming on. This is now, I, you know, I just started having guys on this fall recently. And it's been a brand new transition because the happy hour for years has been just like women only. And Aaron made a joke. He's like, it's about time you give some men some voices. And I was like, oh, real funny, Aaron <laughs> Ivy, real funny. But we transitioned to having men on the happy hour. And it's been so fun, I think, for the listeners and for myself to just kind of broaden the conversations that I'm getting to have. And so I'm excited to have you on today. You mentioned parenting. And I, our oldest is 16. So we could do a little match made in, you know, on the happy hour with, uh, is your oldest a girl? It is. That's what I thought. Okay, my oldest is a boy, so we can make that match happen. But parenting, I always say, will go down as probably the hardest gig I ever have. Mm. I feel like there's so much on the line, and I don't Mm. mean that in like a, like I'm responsible for my kid's salvation. I've had to work through that as a parent, Mm -hmm. but I just feel like there's so much on the line because we only get them for this short amount of time, and you're about to launch one, and I'm about to launch one, and then they're off. Mm -hmm. What do you want to say? Like, if you and I were sitting down, and Veronica was there and Aaron was there and we had these young parents and they've got these young kids. What do you want to say to them about parenting? I feel like that's a loaded question and we could talk for four hours, but really if you look back on, okay, you're about to send one off to college. What do you want to say to that mom and dad who are just starting that parenting journey? Yeah. It's where where my mind goes when you say that is, I mean, it really is like when I look back, 
I don't have a lot of regrets in terms of time, and I'm grateful for that. But I know that the size of the church or the ministry, none of that really matters in just terms of like quality of life and happiness is having kids who know and love and walk with Jesus. And any investment that you make in that is going to pay off like, you know, just in, in such manifold, like, like multiplied ways. There's a season of life, you know, when they're younger, where you really, it's more about like control and, you know, teaching them. And then as they get into their teenage years, it becomes a lot more about I heard one guy say, you're not responsible for as much as you're responsible to. Mm -hmm. That increases year by year. I had a guy tell me, a mentor of mine, he said, you know, your problem, J.D., as a parent is that you think like a mechanic and not like a farmer. Because a mechanic hears something rattling in the engine. And by the way, I'm only talking in their later teenage years. A mechanic hears something rattling in the engine and he opens up the hood and tries to figure out what's wrong. Um, If a farmer does that with a seed, then it's going to keep the seed from growing. He said, you planted good seed. And now it's between the seed, the soil, and God who gives the rain and the sunshine. And so my nature is mechanic. And so I, I just, I'm trying to fix things with my teenage girls all the time. And I've just got to trust that, you know, we faithfully did what we were supposed to do. And now God is the one who gives the, the increase. You know that movie, uh, Apollo 13? It's mm-hmm. kind of an old movie. But you remember where the space shuttle comes back into the atmosphere? And for like three minutes, it's like radio, they're dark, you know? Yeah, uh-huh. And one of my elders here at the church said, that's your, your girls' teenage years. He says, it's total radio silence. He said, and all you're going to say is she went in at the right angle. And I'm watching this spot of the atmosphere where I hope she comes out and she's not burned up. (laughs) But, you know, it's a a harrowing, yeah, it's a harrowing couple, two or three years here. It's so true. It's so true. Now, you said you're the mechanic in that scenario. What would you say Veronica is? Veronica is the counselor to the mechanic telling him to lay off. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you talked about that scenario, I'm like, I would feel myself to be like, okay, there's a problem. We've got to go in and take care of it. And Aaron, my husband, would be more like, okay, let's kind of nurture and see what we not nurture, but like right. he sees the long end. He sees the long goal. And I'm like in the moment right now, which right. is kind of funny with that. You know, one of the things I really love that you've done, you've written a bunch of books, but one that really spoke to me as a parent was you wrote a book. And I don't remember if you even remember what year this book came out. But it's called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. And there is the book book, and then you wrote a teen edition book as well. And we have both of them here in our house. But the reason that I loved this book so much, because as a parent, um, and I've said this many times on the show before, Aaron and I both grew up in very like strict conservative Baptist churches. And so it was this like, do you know your date? Have you asked Jesus into your heart? Like if you don't tonight and then you die in a car wreck, like you're in hell. And then how's that feel? You know? And so I'm getting saved all the time and then live in like the world, but like raising my, I mean, all the things just because of that fear factor. And so as we parent our children, we have gone the other way and we really believe in God's sovereignty. And we believe that we can do everything we can do. The greatest advice someone gave me once is they told me I can't save my kids or damn them to hell. Like I'm not in charge of their salvation. And so I want to ask you when you were writing this book, and again, I know this was a while ago, but it's just the one that is so sweet to me as a parent. What brought that about of you feeling like this conversation is worth having and putting it all into a book. Yeah. So um, you and I probably have a guest, Jamie, raised in the same kind of tradition where it really emphasizes that moment of salvation. And it looks acknowledged that's true. I mean, born again right. happens at a moment. It's not a mm-hmm. process. And there comes a time where you, you know, turn from your sin and embrace Christ. But a corruption of that, if I could say it that way, is this overemphasis on this kind of, it, it, it turns basically into a Protestant ritual. 
where it's like your version of confirmation. And if you didn't hold your mouth right or stand in the right posture or use the right words, maybe you weren't sorry enough for your sin. Because the tradition I was raised in, that Baptist tradition, put such emphasis on that moment, I kept replaying that moment asking, did it happen? Which led me to, and this is not a joke, this is not hyperbole for the sake of entertainment, where I say, you know, I prayed the sinner's prayer probably 5,000 times. Just um, sure. I've been saved at every youth camp in America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> every denomination in America has a yeah. record of my salvation mm-hmm. somewhere on the yeah. rolls. Cause I just, mm-hmm. you know, I pray the prayer. I got baptized cause you know, our Baptist tradition, like you got to be baptized afterwards. So if you got saved, you know, you got to, so I, I rewind that. It's like that had my own locker in the baptismal changing area. <laughs> <laughs> my pastor, my dad, who was one of the godliest men I know when I go forward for the you know 58th time to trust Christ, he's like, son, you got to, you got to lay off of this. You got to, you got to get this settled. So basically what I realized is the more I studied through what the scriptures say on this is that while it is true, salvation is a point. It really is a posture. Conversion is a posture you begin to take toward the finished work of Christ. And you assume that posture in a moment, but you hold that posture for a lifetime. And the way that you know that you got into the posture is not because you remember the act of sitting down as much as, well, that's the posture I'm in now. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now I'm talking to you, I'm seated in a chair. I honestly don't remember Jamie when I walked in and I don't remember the thought process of sitting down in the chair, but I know I'm seated there because, well, I'm seated there now. Mm -hmm. Well, same thing with the Lordship of Christ and trusting in what he finished on the cross as our salvation. Surrender and trust is a posture you begin in a moment, but but maintain for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And that changed how I started to talk to my kids about it. Because I was even nervous, Jamie, I'll be probably identify with this, of like, what if they prayed the prayer prematurely? And that, you know, inoculated them from praying the prayer when it actually mattered later. So much stress and fear. Right. So I was like, the only posture that's ever appropriate to the Lordship and the finished work of Christ is trust and surrender. So from their very first conscious moments, I've been trying to teach them the only response to Jesus is surrender and trust. Mm. And I don't know, I, for two of my four, I kind of know the moment. For the other two, I just know that it's at some point they yeah. they were trusting Christ and surrendered to him. Yeah. I'm like, it doesn't matter the moment. The point is you're in that posture yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. It's really helped me as a parent to even surrender over my kids, like salvation to the Lord, because he is the one that draws us near to him. And so it's given me this comfort and peace of, I can teach my kids just like you're talking about that trust and surrender and that repentance. I also think too, I look back at my life and I think, man, I was just saying these words and going through the motions because I don't remember much conversation about what that looked like afterwards, about what, how do I walk after? And, I, and I'm not throwing a church under the bus. I'm just saying I didn't remember anyone teaching me, okay, this is how we walk in our days. The only thing I was taught was don't have sex and don't drink. And so once I lost to those things, I was like, well, I'm all, I'm out. Like I can't, I'm I cannot out. play this That's game. I, you know, I'll just get saved again at the next youth camp. Yeah. You can almost hear that in the question we use, Jamie, because you know, our famous question, I'm, I'm sure it was like this for you, is if you died tonight. If you died tonight. Right. And so that's a really important question. I, people should consider that. If you died tonight, you stood before God, do you know mm-hmm. if he led you into heaven? But an equally important question is, if you get up tomorrow, that's so good. what Jamie. is your life yes. supposed to look like? I've never heard anyone say that, and that is so good. You should be a preacher, <laughs> and you should say that on a Sunday I'll, morning. I'll that's, consider that. That's a, a good, good I counsel. See the, I see a good path for you. That's so true. Is like, what does it look like for you to walk daily with the Lord? And no, I didn't understand that until I actually started following Jesus and trusted and surrendered him. 
If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Okay, I want to switch gears. Uh, you are the longest Southern Baptist president. There is another <laughs> trivia moment for you guys if you missed it the first time. I attend a church, the Southern Baptist. Um, I have been that my whole life. There has been in the news recently, I should say recently, but let's just say for a long time. Let's just be honest here. But I will tell you this before I say anything else. Karen Swallow Pryor came on the show, and this is what she said so perfectly. I said, has anyone ever asked you, like, why you stay? Like, why you stay? And she goes, yeah, but why am I going to trade one problem for another problem? You know, so, <laughs> and I was like, thank you, Karen. That was so beautiful. But I do know that some big news happened. We're recording this um, in September, and this is about a month later that we're recording this. But something big just happened, and I would love for you to talk about what's happening with the name change and your church, and tell me what happened today when we're recording. Yeah, well, let's just be clear so I don't mislead anybody. You know, legally, the Southern Baptist Convention is still 
incorporated as a Southern Baptist Convention. But back in 2012, if we can remember back that far, there was a group of Southern Baptist leaders and names you would recognize, the president at the time and um, some very prominent leaders, uh, Al Mohler uh, was in that group. They kind of had this recognition that for many people, for the people they were called to reach, that Southern was an obstacle because First of all, it you know defined a part of the country that not everybody who is you know in a quote Southern Baptist church is it lives in the South. It also has some baggage with it. I mean, you know, people who every culture has its own baggage, but in our country, the just the legacy of slavery, and particularly because the Southern Baptist Convention was formed in 1845, you know, because it wanted because, to be able to yeah. appoint you know slaveholders as missionaries, and so. You know, they've dealt with that. They've repented. They've made a number of resolutions over the years, but it's still kind of in people's minds. And particularly as we try, as we grow, you know, we're called to reach all kinds of people, not just, you know, white conservative Republicans that live in the Southeast. So, you know, what does our name, is it helpful for that? And so they passed the convention that year, passed this um, resolution, I guess you'd say, that Southern Baptists could call themselves Great Commission Baptists, which is great. I remember actually being there for that, but no, nobody ever did anything with it. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of kind of faded off in the background. And so through a lot of conversation with leaders of color and some other Southern Baptist leaders, we decided that, hey, it's time to actually make good on that promise. So the Washington Post, you know, this morning, which I realize is you know, a couple months or a month or so um, ago now, but um, basically carried an article that we've declared that to be the theme of the convention uh, this coming year. We are Great Commission Baptists. And our church has begun to use that title. And a lot of leaders around the country are following suit. In fact, some of them were out ahead of us. What we want to do is we want to change the narrative from being like, hey, you're Southern Baptist, and you could also call yourself Great Commission Baptist to say, hey, we're Great Commission Baptist, but you know, historically we have roots to the, mm-hmm. you know, to the, the Southern Baptist Convention. And that's technically what we still are. If I were going to say what is the main, uh, Rob, or have you given me one of them, which is part of the legacy? Second is, you know, that both our membership and the mission field that we're called to reach, neither of them are located in the South any longer. And then the final reason is we don't want to be defined by a Southern culture as much as we want to be defined by the Great Commission that really should unite believers in in all places around the world. Yeah. Well, I love hearing that. I mean, I've heard talk of that for a while and I knew that was on the table. And so I think that's exciting. I think that it takes away a lot of boundaries for people. You know, you're a pastor. My husband's a pastor. I know what it's been like from a person looking in to be a pastor in the past, I mean, 2020. I mean, it's just you know, been a difficult year. I talked to a friend of yours, Dr. Moore. He said it's been one of the most difficult years of him being in leadership as well. How are you walking forward as a leader, not even with just the Southern Baptist stuff that you're leading as well, but with your church and your home and the stuff that we've watched in the news? How are you pastoring your community through the racial injustice that we're seeing in our country, the political divide that we're seeing, the, you know, the tragedies that people are walking through from the environment? Like, how are you pastoring your people through that to lead us, so I'm not one of your people, but to lead your people to a place of hope in the midst of what in the actual H-E double hockey sticks are we living in right now? Maybe when you and I sat next to each other at Passion 2020, just a few months uh-huh. ago. Oh my gosh. Could you and I have imagined what the heck this year was going to look like? No way. No way. I mean, it's just, it was, it's crazy. And 
I don't want to jump too deep into the pool, but I really, you know, I'm not the kind that sees a demon behind every, you know, rock or when your mm-hmm. car won't start, but I just don't know any other way of saying it. Yeah. Then there is a great deal of attack and also, you know, it may be God's winnowing judgment really on the church. I've been haunted by this verse in Jeremiah where God says, I will tear down what I built. Like, I don't need that. I don't need you. And after walking in pride and apathy for so long, maybe it's time for me to lay a blanket over this. And when I pull the blanket back, we'll see, we'll see what's left. And so I've been very aware. It has been just to affirm what you and you said, Dr. Moore said, it's been without question, without any close seconds, the hardest six months of ministry that I have ever been through. Um, uh, A lot of that is, you know, the racial stuff and and what that's revealed in the church and what it's, you know, kind of what it's brought to the surface in the church. Um, That's been aggravated, of course, by by the COVID lockdown. Mm -hmm. When I read the book of Job, I see how much Satan is involved in sickness and all that kind of stuff. And you just, you know, people are sitting at home and that natural glue of cohesion that Mm -hmm. makes for good community is not there. And it's it's brought things to the surface. I have seen marriages in Mm -hmm. my life, meaning close friends that, I mean, I would never have thought, but just watch them just absolutely destroyed through this. And um, I'm, you know, even coming on this podcast, I'm a little bloody uh, right now, just because of some things that we're walking through specifically with the racial one. I think, you know, what you've got is you've got years of essentially a white church that are saying, if we're going to have unity, it's going to be because Black believers come in and essentially assimilate to our perspective and our politics and uh, learn to adopt our priorities. Mm-hmm. And then right now in the last few years or the last few months, you've had, you know, I think black voices that have said, no, church unity is going to be based on all of you embracing woke politics and or, you know, I'm using that just as a, you know, a throwaway term there, but you know, you're going to embrace a certain perspective. And what I've been trying to lead our church in is that the unity of the church is, is found in something different. You know, there is, you know, Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector were both disciples of Jesus. And if you, you know, just that little term, the zealot and the tax collector means that they were on opposite sides of the most divisive political issue of their day. And that is what to do with Rome. Do you cooperate with Rome or do you overthrow Rome? And the zealots are like, you got to overthrow them because they're thieves and they're imperialists. And, you know, those who are cooperating, the tax collectors like, no, you got to work with them because that's the authority right now. And Jesus brings on two different guys, and there's no evidence that the zealot had to convert to tax collector politics in order to become a you know disciple of Jesus or vice That's versa. Good, JD, yeah. And so what Jesus said is your identity can be based on something different. It doesn't mean that these are not really pressing questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, police reform and a living wage and mm-hmm. universal health care. Those are all really, really important questions, and good politics is a way of, of, of loving our neighbor. Yeah. But, you know, the Apostle Paul seems to spend a lot of his time writing epistles to say, Hey, you Gentiles that have a Gentile perspective and you Jews or to use my word, you zealots and you tax collectors, there's a unity in the body of Christ that goes beyond those things that allows for unity in the essentials, but not uniformity in the secondary and tertiary Mm. questions. That is so good. And I see that I I just watched this morning. Again, this is September 15th. We're recording. I just watched Preston Perry do an Instagram live and Preston Perry is Jackie Hill Perry's husband. And he was talking about just what you're just talking about, about the, the, we can go deeper as followers of Jesus and we can see each other's sides and we not even have to agree on the other thing, but we can know like, Hey, we're both followers of Jesus. And so there's something 
more here than just where do we both land on, for use your examples, minimum wage or police reform. And those are all very important topics right. that we should be talking about. And I think that's important that we realize that we can use our voices that way and still be unified as followers of Jesus. I don't mean when I say that that Christians ought to just focus on preaching the gospel and forget about justice questions. I don't think you mean that. Okay, because vertical— Because people say that, and I don't like that. No, right. Vertical reconciliation with God always leads to horizontal transformation of relationships. And when you make a disciple, you teach them all things that Jesus commanded. And one of the things he commanded was care about justice, to use your position of privilege, whatever it is, to, to lift up and empower the poor. What I'm talking about is the recognition that beyond the teaching of those principles— there's an application that Christians should have freedom in. One of the best illustrations of this is Luke 12. A brother, an older, a younger brother comes to Jesus and is like, hey, my older brother won't divide the inheritance with me. It's a social justice question. Mm -hmm. Jesus clearly cares about injustice. He talked about it all the time. But to this guy, Luke 12, 14, he looks at him and he says, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And instead he preaches the gospel, preaches repentance to both the older and younger brother telling them that the real issue is to repent of the greed that is driving them. He knew that if he had gotten involved in the specifics of that case, that he would no longer be able to preach the gospel that both of them needed to hear. And so what I tell our congregation that means is we speak out against injustice and we decry the history in this country of the injustice that has been given specifically to people of color. When it comes to going beyond that to say, which policies are the best for the empowerment of the, the poor and which ones of these things. That's something that is important, but Christians really can, you know, we are neither called nor competent as a church, as an organization to declare whether, you know, small government economics or, you know, kind of big government welfare programs are the right way to go. I have an opinion on that, but I don't want to tie the church's authority to that. I'm going to say Christians should be involved in those spheres, you know, thinking about that carefully. But the church's organization, we've got to focus on what Jesus focused on, and that is preaching the gospel and teaching the principles of justice and letting people apply them. And then letting people go out and serve where they're supposed to be, whether that be in government or at their local food pantry or at wherever that might be, they can go out and serve there as well. Give us a little pastoral hope here that— no matter what happens, there's going to be people who are upset about what happens that first week in November. And so give us a little hope that we're going to make it to December, no matter who wins our election. Well, again, if you and your listeners, if you all will promise that you won't interpret what I'm about to say as put your head in the sand and just, you know, be above, be not of this world and being a little Christian clique. And I don't mean that, but recognize that for the apostles in that first century, they didn't have a lot of political hope, you know, and, but you just don't see them in the epistles going, oh no, you know, like it's Caligula now and he cross dresses in public and what are we going to do with this? You know, they just, they realized that while they spoke out for the poor and the marginalized and while they preached righteousness and sexual against sexual immorality, while they did all those things that God had given them a mission that he said would not and could not fail. Mm -hmm. And he told them that he was going to build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Um, I know different ones of your listeners, some of them will identify on different sides of the aisle, but I hate to use a preaching line, but, you know, ultimately we're not people of the elephant. We're not people of the donkey. We're the party of the lamb. And I can rejoice that the lamb's on the throne, even when my preferred, you know, Democrat or Republican, my donkey or elephant is not sitting on the, in the Oval Office in the White House. Mm. You know, there's some Christian company out there that's listening. They're going to now make t-shirts that say, I'm with the party of the lamb. And, <laughs> and you know what? I see those selling on Etsy right now. So if you make that shirt, just you need to always oh, yeah, give that back. Mine. 
You need to make sure you give credit where credit is due to the longest leading president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Gave oh, you that the line there. Commission boundaries. Jamie, how many times you got to go Sorry. Dang it, dang it, dang it, dang it. I knew it just happened. J.D., I am so grateful for just your leadership. All joking aside, I am grateful for your leadership. In a time where it is hard to be a leader, it's really hard to be a leader sometimes, but I love hearing you say so boldly that your leadership is not about a political party. It's not about this or that, that you have this one no pun intended, great commission of what needs to be happening within the greater convention and within your local church and within your family and everything that you're doing. So I always end the shows. What are you loving? What are you listening to? What are you watching? Tell me what's going on in the Greer House. So I can't give you a spiritual answer and uh, I'll take both. Both of them. Yeah. Okay, so we'll do spiritual first. Okay. okay. You know, it's interesting as you get older, <laughs> and I hate to even use those words to describe myself. I think God has a way of narrowing the focus of what you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see that with the Apostle Paul. He kind of started out really broad, but as he gets further in life, he's like, I just got to preach Christ to where he's never been named. Mm-hmm. And one of those things for me has been understanding that we get one life and we want to, you, you, all of us are called, the calling to, leverage our life for the Great Commission, it's included in the call to follow Jesus. And, you know, my dad used to tell me this poem when I was a kid. It, it had this line in it, only one life to live will send me past, only what's done for Christ will last. And so, you know, kind of in this in this season of life, when I think post-presidency and even here at the Summit Church, you know, it, it's putting a vision in front of college students, young professionals, and people at every stage of life to say, how is your life how is your life counting for the kingdom of God? And 100 years, 200 years from now, when you look back, or you look back and see, did you waste your life? I was really impacted um, by uh, years ago, John Piper's message that ultimately was turned into a book called Don't Waste Your Life, where he just basically presented that question. I, I you know, over the last year or so, I've spent time writing a book that basically is, I don't want to say an updated version of Don't Waste Your Life, but it's, I always feel like I, I want to be, I want to be John Piper for middle schoolers or Tim <laughs> Keller for middle school. That's kind of my goal. So I, I, I came out with a middle school version of that book and just said, you know, is your life really going to count? And that's kind of what's occupying my time and energy, both as a pastor, as president mm-hmm. of the SBC and pretty much everywhere I go. So that's what's on my, my, my head's face right now on the I serious side. I love it. On the other side, I would say that um, it's been a sweet time with us and our family. I mentioned at the beginning some of the struggles, but I don't know. It's, it's fun to have my girls be able to sit down and watch an episode of The Office with me. Maybe somebody's judging me right now for that. Oh, we've done it all with Kate and we watched the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. So my girls and I, we watch 24 almost every night. You know, remember the old show with Jack Bauer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we sit down and we watch. And I just, I really enjoy that. I enjoy being able to, you know, one of my daughters, my older daughters, but one of them especially is this really wry sense of humor and be able to, to you know, mock things with her. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, it's just like, I don't know, just, I, I find a great deal of, of pleasure in that. I love it. So anyway, we're enjoying that. We've been, you know, it's been a good time for us to do some reading that we haven't been wanting to do for a long time. So anyway, life is full at the Greer house. There's a lot of burdens, but there's a lot of joys that God mercifully gives along with that. I love it. I love it. What are you reading right now? A long biography of Churchill. Okay. And then a book by John Steinbeck called East of Eden. That's which Aaron Ivey's favorite book, by the way. Is it really? I, I can favorite. see that with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense with Aaron. It's great. So I, those have been the things. I just, you mentioned, I think it, you mentioned her, uh, Jackie O'Perry's husband wrote the forward to this book. Oh, I've been called, wanting to read that book. Mother's Son? Yes. Oh, it's one of the best that I have read. I'm having our staff read it. It's one of the best that I've read. 
at really what unity looks like without uniformity of perspective. I'm going to grab it's that. It's so good. And so um, I just finished it and it's fantastic. Okay. Awesome. JD, thanks so much. You came through and your wife and kids are going to be so proud of you for coming on the happy hour today. You have, you have, you've done well, but in all seriousness, thank you seriously for all you're doing and for leading so well. Thanks for coming on the happy hour. Thank you so much, Jamie, for having me. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Guys, enjoy your week. Enjoy the last Wednesday of October. Share the show with a friend. Have a happy hour with a friend. You guys, on Friday, I'm so excited about this. We are filming our holiday gift guide. It's one of my favorite things that we do here. I cannot wait to share it with you all on November 20th. But this Friday, we have a show and Mary Morantz is joining us. Her story is one of reconciliation with deep roots and she shares with gut-wrenching honesty and hard-won wisdom. God truly does his best work in the muddy, messy, and broken, and I cannot wait for you to meet Mary. I'll see you guys on Friday.